Well, I might invite everyone to uh, find your way back to your seats. Let's pray before we get into God's word this morning. Father, we thank you that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for training, correcting, rebuking and growing in righteousness. We just pray that you might hear your words uh, being proclaimed to us today, that you by your spirit might help us to understand them. Particularly as we're looking at the law, we pray that you will help us to have eyes to see the spirit of the law and how it points us to your love for us and your desire to have relationship with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage this morning as we're going through the, uh, the book of Leviticus in the lead up to Easter. Well, the whole, pa- whole passage we're looking at is chapters 11 to 15. But just, just to get a taste for it, we're going to read uh, Leviticus chapter 14 verses 1 to 33 or 32. The Lord said to Moses, These are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing when they're brought to the priest. The priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they've been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed. Over, a fresh, uh, over fresh water in a clay pot. He is then to take the live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that he is to release the live bird in the open fields. The person to be cleansed must wash their clothes, shave off all their hair and bathe with water. Then they'll be ceremonially clean. After this, they may come into the camp, but they must stay outside their tent for seven days. On the seventh day, they must shave off all their hair. They must shave their head, their beard, their eyebrows, and the rest of their hair. They must wash their clothes and bathe themselves with water, and they will be clean. On the eighth day, they must bring two male lambs and one ewe lamb, a year old, each without defect, along with three-tenths of an FR of the finest flour mixed with olive oil for a grain of offering and one, uh, for a grain offering and one log of oil. The priest who pronounces them clean shall present both the one to be cleansed and their offerings before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then the priest is to take one of the male lambs and offer it as a guilt offering, along with the log of oil. He shall wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. He is to slaughter the lamb in the sanctuary area where the sin offering and the burnt offering are slaughtered. Like the sin offering, the guilt offering belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. The priest shall then take some of the log of oil, pour it in the palm of his own left hand. 
dip his right forefinger into the oil in his palm and with his finger sprinkle some of it before the Lord seven times. The priest is to put some of the oil remaining in his palm on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot on top of the blood of the guilt offering. The rest of the oil in his palm the priest shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed and make atonement for them before the Lord. Then the priest is to sacrifice the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from their uncleanness. After that, the priest shall slaughter the burnt offering and offer it on the altar together with the grain offering and make atonement for them, and they will be clean. If, however, they are poor and cannot afford these, they must take one male lamb as a guilt offering to be waived to make atonement for them, together with a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour, mixed with olive oil for a grain offering, a log of oil, of oil, and two doves or two young pigeons such as they can afford, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. On the eighth day, they must bring them for their cleansing to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. The priest is to take the lamb for the guilt offering together with the log of oil and wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. He shall slaughter the lamb for the guilt offering and take some of its blood and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one who to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. The priest is to pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand and with his right forefinger sprinkle some of the oil from his palm seven times before the Lord. Some of the oil in his palm he is to put in the same place as he put the blood of the guilt offering, on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. The rest of the oil in his palm the priest shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed to make atonement for them before the Lord. Then he shall sacrifice the doves or the young pigeons such as the person can afford. One is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering, together with the grain offering. In this way the priest will make atonement before the Lord on behalf of the one to be cleansed. These are the regulations for anyone who has a defiling skin disease and who cannot afford the regular offerings for their cleansing. So that's what you do if you have had a defiling skin disease. It's passages like that that do tend to give Leviticus its reputation for being quite repetitive and quite difficult to understand what the relevance is uh, to us here and now. Now there's an old saying that cleanliness is next to godliness. And if that saying is true, then I'm very underqualified to be your pastor. Um, and unfortunately the kids seem to take after their dad in that regard. But this section that we're looking at, chapters 11 through to 15, are all about what it means for the people of Israel to be clean or unclean or uh, to be pure or to be impure. And this is one of the harder parts of the Old Testament and of the law for us to understand and for us to recognise and make sense of. But when it comes to the, the sacrifices and the things like that that we looked at in the first few weeks in Leviticus, we can pretty easily see the connection between you know, the, the sacrifices are being offered 
so that their sins can be atoned for, so that they can live in community with God. And that's a picture of how Jesus is the sacrifice uh, who was given so that our sins can be atoned for and so that we can have relationship with God. But the importance of these chapters that we're looking at is that there's more than one aspect of what it means for our sins to be atoned for. We often think of them in the sense of the legal atonement for our sins. So we are guilty before God and we have a a price to be paid to cover for our sins. The sacrifices was them paying their part in, in faith, not that the animals actually dealt with their sins, but showed their faith that God told us to do this for our sins to be forgiven, so we'll do it. And God held on to all of those sins instead of punishing them. And like our sins, their sins were placed onto Jesus on the cross. Their sins were paid for when Jesus came to take the sins away. And so we think, all right, now we were guilty. Jesus has paid the price. Legally, we are clear. We're we're, we're, We're all good and we can go to be in heaven. But there's another aspect to our relationship with God, to our sin being atoned for. And it's really brought home to us in this idea of what it means to be clean, to be white as snow, to know not just that our sins are no longer counted against us, but that we no longer need to carry the guilt of our sins that we no longer carry the stain of our sins, but that in Christ we are clean. Now, one very important thing to understand as we jump into this world that's very different from ours, this world of the Old Testament and the law and the sacrifices, is that being unclean is not... Well, not normally related anything to do with something being a sin. And we'll go through uh, some of the things that made us unclean very quickly in just a moment. But one example is childbirth. When uh, a woman in Israel gave birth to a child, she was made ceremonially unclean uh, for a period of time following, that, uh, following the birth of the baby. And yet, God had commanded them, go and, uh, you know, Go, go forth and multiply, be fruitful. And through uh, all of Israelite culture and you know, through the Psalms and the Proverbs, we read that it's a, children are a blessing and a gift from God. So there's no idea that childbirth is, makes you unclean because it's sinful, because it's bad in any way. But... There are a number of things in Israel that would make somebody unclean in the presence of God. And through these, God was teaching people not only that we're made unclean by just the the existence of sin and death in the world that we live in, but that also we can be made clean and able to be in his presence and have relationship with him. So God set out for Israel a number of things that were clean or unclean and some were considered more serious than others. Um, Sometimes you had to do 
more things after the time that you'd been unclean in order to be made clean again. And one thing to note is that no reason is given in Leviticus or really anywhere in the law to say why so many of these things are unclean. And different scholars have their different theories, but be careful about anyone that's too firm on this is exactly why these things are unclean because God doesn't tell us. So we should tread with some humility in these things. So some of the things that could make you unclean, the, the, the section starts with the food laws. We know about you know, the Jewish people, they eat kosher food and there's certain meats and things that they're not allowed to eat. So livestock, fish, you know, birds that eat like grain and bugs and those sort of things, uh, even locusts, they're okay, you can eat those. Uh, pigs, shellfish, birds of prey, camels, uh, rabbits or reptiles, they're all out. Don't eat those. And the touching of the carcass of any unclean animal would make somebody unclean, uh, or, or the picking up of a carcass. But even touching the, the carcass of, of, a, um, of a livestock animal that died of natural causes or, or was torn apart by a wild beast would make you unclean. Uh, but not, for example, if you were uh, slaughtering that animal for your own family's use or as a sacrifice at the temple. And so in this section, it doesn't tell them how to be clean after eating unclean animals. It just says, don't eat them. And it's interesting that clean and unclean animals, this was not a new thing for Israel. We read about the separation between clean and unclean animals back when Noah had the animals on the ark, way before the time of Moses. But God is codifying this understanding of these animals are for you to eat, and these ones are not. So that's one thing that could make you unclean. But food wasn't the only thing. Uh, I mentioned that childbirth uh, would make the, the mother ceremonially unclean. And I actually uh, remember having to look at this passage in Leviticus when I was um, doing my, my studies at Adelaide Uni as a prime example of the misogyny of, of, sec- of uh, patriarchal cultures because if you had a male son... The, the time of, uh, that you were unclean afterwards was half the time that it was if you had a female, uh, if, if you had a female child, if you had a daughter. Uh, but I think what that is missing very briefly, in case this is a question that has uh, ever bothered anybody, is that in some ways the circumcision of the male child, because the females weren't circumcised and the males were, seems to have been factored into the decision, almost like being a sacrifice in and of its own way that uh, counted for some, somewhat towards the purification uh, in that time. And again, remember, none of this is about sin, but is about being unclean. And that being unclean after childbirth was also perhaps a blessing because like, your husband has to leave you alone in the time immediately after you've had your child. Uh, in, in this time of ceremonial uncleanness, which probably would have been uh, you know, a, a blessing in many ways to, to in a culture where women didn't necessarily have a lot of rights. But there are other things that also made you unclean. The, the next few chapters are all about, and in, as we saw, great and excruciating detail, the uncleanness of 
uh, infectious skin diseases or also like infectious uh, spreads on clothing or on housing, on mildew spreading on things. And if you had an infectious skin disease, if you're definitely infectious, uh, you know, if you're exhibiting any of the signs that it says, the priest was to examine you and then you were sent outside the camp and you couldn't come inside the camp with the people of Israel until your skin disease had healed. And, and even then, you had to have the priest come and check and make sure that you were healed. And then you went through that whole process that I read out from Leviticus chapter 14. If maybe you were infectious, but they weren't quite sure, you would be quarantined for seven days. And then they'd check you again. So just some encouragement to people that if you've been quarantined in recent times, know that that's nothing new. Quarantining infectious people has been around since at least the Bronze Age, if not earlier. And if they weren't infectious, if, if it was a benign thing, then they weren't unclean and they were free to go. And the process was very similar with mildew. It was, you, know, you check it, uh, if, they, if they definitely knew it was spreading, chuck it in the fire. Uh, if it was, like, check the article of clothing in the fire. If, if they weren't sure, they'd sort of put it in a box for a week and then come out and check it again, and if it was worse, it went in the fire. If it didn't, you pull out the bit that was, uh, you know, the bit that had the, the stain, the mildew on it, and the rest was fine to keep. And then the last section, and the one that you'd probably least want to read out in front of a bunch of teenagers, is all about uh, discharges, male and female discharges that made one unclean. And there were two categories, both the normal and the unusual. So, uh, for example, a emission of semen in a sexual act made both partners in that act unclean. And, uh, but only for a short period of time. They needed to wash. And then at the end of that day, which in Jewish thought the day ends at sundown, you were clean again. Uh, likewise, menstruation made women unclean for, for a week, uh, starting when their period began, uh, began. But there are also other unusual discharges, and it doesn't go into great detail about what it's talking about, but, um, you know, sort of infections and things that make discharges happen where they're not supposed to, and things like that made somebody unclean for a longer period of time. Or if somebody... If a, if a woman had a bleed outside of her normal time or for longer than the normal time, that would make her unclean for that whole period. Lovely stuff to talk about, isn't it? And lovely stuff to hear about. But this is, there's a whole chapter on this. This was important to God. This was important to Israel. So it's important, you see from all of this, Becoming unclean is clearly not a sin and it would happen to everybody at some point that you became unclean. Most of the time it wasn't that big a deal. You, you have, might have to, you might just, for some of the minor ones, you just automatically clean at the end of the day. For some of the other ones, like, uh, you know, like sex and, and menstruation, you, were, you had to wash but then you were clean at the end of the day. But then for some of the, the bigger, more serious forms of uncleanness, like we, um, like we talked about with the skin diseases and those sort of things, at the end of the time, uh, once you were clean again, sacrifices were required to be made. Um, guilt offerings or purification offerings were required to make you clean again in the eyes of God. 
And it was considered very important because many of the forms of uncleanness could spread. So if you were unclean and you sat on a chair and then somebody else sat on that chair, now they're unclean until the end of the day. Or if you're unclean and you shake somebody's hand, now they're unclean until the end of the day. And the things that they touch are unclean until the end of the day. And there's the potential for this uncleanness to spread. And it was very important that Israel did not defile the tabernacle and make it unclean. But instead, as God says through this passage many times, be holy as I am holy. Now, if you were a person living in Israel, like it sounds really confronting when you, you read it out in all of, you know, all of those things about what to do. The majority of people wouldn't have an infectious skin disease to deal with in their lifetime, or at least if they did, it wouldn't happen very often. And the majority of the ones that you would have to deal with were only minor things, where you're unclean until the end of the day. And the only time that it really matters about being unclean was if you wanted to go to the, tab- the tabernacle, or later the temple, or if it was one of the great festivals. And so in the lead up to those things, you might refrain from certain things in order that you wouldn't become unclean because you needed to be clean to go to the tabernacle or you needed to be clean in order to to participate in the festivals. And in this whole language of being clean and unclean and in all of these things that affect lots of areas of their life, what they eat, what they do with their spouse, all of these things, were daily reminders of not just being, of being ceremonially clean, but that also reminds you every day about being morally clean before God, about our sins, about uh, you know, all of the other aspects of the law that we've seen so far. But as I said, easy enough for the people of Israel to live with. But we don't live in Leviticus. We don't live in the Old Testament of the people of Israel following this law exactly as it's written. And we see some really interesting things happen with being clean and unclean when it comes to the New Testament, when it comes to the Gospels. Now it's particularly important to understand from the Old Testament that uncleanness spread. So if you were unclean, you made other things and other people unclean. Because when we understand that, when we get to the New Testament, something completely unexpected happens. Unclean people come up and touch or are touched by somebody who is holy and righteous. And instead of the holy man becoming unclean, the unclean people become clean. And that's, that is not something that we really recognise how incredible that is until we understand Leviticus, until we understand that the world that these people lived in. So we have a number of examples of that. We know a number of times Jesus healed lepers and uh, lepers were to follow all of the things that we read about those who uh, had the, the infectious skin diseases. They had to live outside of the cities and the towns of the people of Israel. 
They had to wear clothes that were torn. They had to yell, unclean, unclean, if anybody came near them. So that people knew that they were, you know, there, there was actually some danger in coming near to these people that you might catch this infectious skin disease. And, you know, those laws were there to protect people and protect from the spread of a dangerous disease. But you can imagine how alienating that would be, how depressing it would be to be outside of community, to have only your fellow lepers as company and to be shunned from the rest of society, to be able to live off only you know, what you could scrounge or what uh, charity people gave to you generally from a distance uh, because they didn't want to get too close. Jesus came up to these people and he touched them. And although, according to Leviticus, what should have happened is that he should have become unclean, they were healed just like that. Now, Jesus didn't say, you know, now, now the law doesn't matter, Leviticus doesn't matter. He says, no, go and do all of those things you're supposed to do now. Show yourself to the priests. Have them check you out. Have them, um, you know, make sure that your, your disease is gone. And then you can do the whole bit with the birds and you kill one and you, you dip it in the water and all of that. Now, likewise, we read in the Gospels about a woman who's had a flow of blood for, I forget how many years, but years and years and years. And so she, she didn't have to live outside of the town, but she couldn't, um, she couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't participate in the festivals. And anybody that she touched would be unclean for the whole of her life, essentially, or for, for the majority of her life, at least. And she comes up and she touches the hem of Jesus' cloak. And instead of Jesus becoming unclean, she's healed like that. She is clean. You see, these people that are most isolated from God... now. They could still believe in God. They could still pray to God. They could still uh, you know, sing songs to God, all of these things. But they couldn't go to the place where his presence dwelt in a special way. They couldn't communicate in the festival, participate in the festivals that expressed so much of what it was to be God's chosen people. But Jesus made them clean. And as I mentioned at the start, when we think about being clean and unclean, it doesn't tend to have so much to do with the things that made somebody unclean in the Old Testament. But we, when we talk about cleanness and uncleanness in the New Testament, a lot of it is about our guilt, our shame, that we feel unclean before a holy God. None of us are as clean before God as we would like to be. Each and every one of us is tainted by the world that we live in and you know, tainted by the decisions that we've made. We have at home a rainwater tank uh, that, we, that we use, uh, you know, water the garden for the house, all these things. When that rainwater falls from the sky, it's crystal clear. By the time it's in our rainwater tank, not so much. 
it's come into contact with the world around it. And that's had an impact. None of us are as clean as we would like to be. But there is one who can make us clean. And so in closing this morning, I want to think about what does it mean for us to be clean? None of us have ever been ritually unclean. None of us have been not able to come to church because you know, we, we touched a dead rabbit uh, that morning and so we couldn't come to church or uh, any of the other things that would make you unclean. And the whole ideas of ceremonial cleanliness are not really a big part of the New Testament. But Jesus does have a number of things to say about being clean. In arguing with the Pharisees, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? Talking about the food laws. For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean, and so we can have bacon, and we can have rabbits, and we can have, uh, I don't know, ants and things, I suppose. Um, Some of those are better than others. But he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. Jesus isn't worried about whether we stay clean by what we eat, but he is concerned about what comes out of our heart and what comes out in our lives. He says again, arguing with the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. God is more worried about whether we're clean on the inside than how clean we are on the outside. And then 2 Timothy 2.22, Richie Bano's favourite verse. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That purity, that's that same idea, that same picture of being clean. That we pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace and stay away from sin and the things that taint us. Jesus wants us to be clean. And the good news is that just like the people of Israel, it's not all on us to make ourselves clean. Like them, there's, there's a way that we can come to God and be made clean. We read in Ephesians 5, that famous or infamous passage about husbands and wives. uh, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and particularly emphasising here what Christ has done. He gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Through his word, through all that he's teaching us, Jesus is making us clean. And to present her, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And then in Hebrews 9, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, exactly what we're reading about today, sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences? Now there's a powerful three words. Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death 
so that we may serve the living God. I don't know who here among us needs to have your conscience cleansed. It's so easy as Christians to fall for the the lie of the enemy that we need to continue to feel guilty for those things that we've already repented of, that we need to carry the shame of the things that we did in the past, that we are still unclean because of the things that we've done. But the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, can cleanse our consciences. You are clean because Jesus has made you clean. We don't need to carry it anymore. Now, you know, depending on what the sins are, sometimes there are some some repercussions, some consequences in our relationships with others and the people that we've hurt. But, you know, and, and it's good for us to try and make things right with people who we've wronged. But, We don't have to carry the guilt and the shame and the idea that we are unclean in our sins because we have been made clean by the blood of Jesus. God doesn't care that we were once unclean because Jesus makes us clean when we put our trust in him. When we repent of our sins, ask him for forgiveness, trusting in his promise that to all who believe in him, He will give everlasting life. And to all who come to him, he will wash with his blood. That though our sins were red as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Because of Jesus, we can come to God perfectly clean. And the good news, we will continue to fail and fall short. But he can make us clean again. And because he has made us clean, we like the people of Israel, having been made clean, can come to God, have relationship with him and his people. And we have a hope of that existing, of living with God face to face, of being clean, dressed in clothes of pure white in the language of Revelation 19. And we will live with him forever. Let's pray. Lord, we know that this world is broken and fallen and that even to be in this world is to be touched by the stain of sin and death. And we see that in looking at your law that we can be made unclean by so much in this world. But you made a way for your people to be clean. And we thank you that When Jesus came, instead of the unclean spreading and making Jesus unclean, that something never before seen happened and that you made the unclean clean by your touch. We thank you that you can make us clean through your blood. We pray that you will help us to let go of guilt and shame and condemnation and live in the light of what you've done for us a radiant church, holy, vibrant, set apart for you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.